Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing, with our Board President, Doug Leeds. Welcome to today's program. We'll be back later to tell you more about the work of the American Theatre Wing. But right now, please join us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. In an era when entertainment is dominated by television, podcasts, video games, and the internet, the discipline of playwright might strike those not immersed in the theater as quaint. With us today are five accomplished playwrights whose careers have come of age in the era of the electronic media and whose work is anything but passe. I'm Howard Sherman, executive director of the American Theater Wing. Welcome to Working in the Theater. Joining us are Douglas Carter Bean, author of The Little Dog Laughed and the upcoming Xanadu, the musical. Adam Rapp, author of Red Light Winter and Stone Cold Dead Serious. Kia Corthran, author of Light Raise the Roof and Splash Hatch on the E Going Down. Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, author of Dark Matters and Based on a Totally True Story. And Daisy Foote, author of Bhutan and The Hand of God. Welcome to you all. So to return to my opening statement, in this era of so many forms of entertainment, why choose to write for the theater? For me, I think uh, as much as I, I chose theater, theater kind of chose me. Um, originally, I thought I was going to maybe be a reporter. Um, but I started doing plays, and I started sort of uh, feeling uh, simpatico with fellow theater people and realized, oh, this is, this is kind of where I want to be. Uh, but I had always wanted to be kind of a storyteller, and it sort of felt natural that the stories I wanted to tell would sort of fit on a stage. Um, also, I love collaborating with theater people, working with directors, actors, designers, uh, and then ultimately collaborating with the audience in creating the experience. Uh, so it, I kind of just naturally gravitated towards that. Daisy, is it the family business for you, given your father <laughs> is a well-known playwright, your sister is an actress? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how I got started. I suppose that, you know, I was um, influenced by that. But um, it, it's, it comes very naturally to me, you know. And, and I write movies, too, and <clears throat> writing movies is a, sort of like a fun puzzle, but it's not, it doesn't have the same natural uh, feel for me that writing a play does. And I love being in, in my office with a play, you know, it just sort of... Uh, things come out that, you know, I never could have imagined, and so it just, uh, it's something that's just, you know, very much a part of my being. I can't imagine not doing it. Yeah, I guess yeah, I feel similarly, and uh, when I have an idea, I'm just drawn to, sometimes I want to write some other form, and I can't, that's drawn to the theater, um, but also, I mean, I've done a teeny bit of television, but uh, also because my themes are uh, inspired politically. Um, it's really important to me exactly what that message is going to be. And in TV, of course, there are so many people involved that it could be skewed in a different way. And so, um, and I, I'm very excited by that live connection between audience and, and, and the people on stage and that you know, this is a singular moment that will never be repeated. It's uh, because it's this connection between those people in the audience and these people on stage on this evening. All, all that immediacy is very exciting for me. 
Adam, you started writing novels. So how did you uh, shift, but though you continue to write them? So where is the, the choice yeah, for uh, theater? It, it's interesting. It's probably two reasons I think I got involved. One is that um, writing fiction is very lonely, you know, and it's very solitary, and there's not a lot of people around. And my little brother was acting in a lot of plays in New York when I moved here, and, and he was in a uh, John Guare played six, six Degrees of se Separation. And so I would go see that because I had no one to hang out with, basically. And then I started to <laughs> hang out with actors, and I thought if I wrote a good enough play um, that I could have people to hang out with. <laughs> and that's truly, <laughs> honestly, and I, I also thought it would be a good way to um, maybe meet a girl. Uh, uh, like, when it comes down to the sort of sim real simple reasons why I tried to do it, um, that's why I tried, but I fell in love with it because I think the event of, of, of affecting an audience on a one particular night that they <coughs> get on a subway and they, they walk to the theater and they buy a ticket and they walk into the theater and they witness something, there's, there's nothing like it for me. Um, nothing compares um, to it. I also I used, used to draw a lot when I was a kid, and I think for fiction writing I was tapping into something that was very visual for me, but I think with theater it actually is another expression of that where there's something in a frame that's happening and there's a story three-dimensionally passing through space and time. And I think that's something that's held me in um, in the theater uh, as well as the fiction writing. Doug, why theater? Um, uh, two things that they've everyone here has so far said or, or, or touched on. One is the actual event of live theater, which is just exhilarating. I'm, I'm always... I'm always very moved by it. Every time I go into a theater, there's that moment when the lights go down and I just feel everyone in anticipation. And I'm, and I'm touched by it every time. I do feel like it's kind of like we're like hanging around the campfire going <laughs> to hear a tale. You know, I love that. And I love when something sad happens and you feel everyone in the room just kind of inhale just a little bit. Or when a plot turn happens. And, and, and I see movies all the time and it's not the same in a movie. You don't yeah. feel that vibe of everyone going like, oh, yeah. that doesn't happen in a movie. That, mm -hmm. It's just an, it's an, am an amazing thing. That also, I work in film and occasionally have, have dealt in television. There is a expression that I hear all the time in my work, which is, no one's going to get that or that's a little too obscure, or that's a little too, and suddenly you realize that that little rough edge is being taken away from your work and it's becoming a nice, big, bland bowl of oatmeal that I love that I'll go off and start talking about something that's very important to these characters or they'll have a discussion about a very mundane but interesting thing and it doesn't fit into a rule that they've read about. See, in, in movies, they go to school now how to make movies, even though they don't know how to write them. So they'll say, on page 12, you need to have this happen. And to, when I'm doing a play, I, even if it's really in trouble <laughs> and, and nobody's happy with it, there is a sense that everyone's trying to somehow help me say the story I need to say. And it's a very, very wonderful thing. So when you come up with a story idea, since you all do write in other forms than just the theater. Do you find yourself thinking, is this a theater story, or is this a novel, or is this a screenplay, or Ferdo, is this something I can express through, if not the comics that you write, a graphic novel? Uh, for me, I, I generally tend to think of any kind of story idea that I have first as, as, a, as a theater piece, and a, 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 lot, of, a lot of my plays have 
what I think a lot of people would consider more um, either cinematic elements or, or genre elements, uh, uh, aliens or monsters <laughs> or, or things like that. And I, I, I find it really an interesting challenge to get those stories on a stage. Like, I get really excited by that. You know, whereas I, I kind of, there's a part of me that knows, oh, this maybe would be easier if I wrote a movie about aliens or a movie about monsters from the ocean. But how can I create that in a sort of idiosyncratic kind of theatrical way on, on a stage? Um, so I, I know, with the exception of, of when I'm working on comic books, on superhero comics, almost everything that I think of, I first start out thinking, oh, how can I put this on a stage in front of an audience? Uh, and how can I use the limitations and, and sort of forget about the limitations at the same time? Yet, when we think about the stage, limitations come up a lot in terms of the number of people you can put in a story, what you can physically put on a stage. Do you have to edit yourself when you're writing for the stage? Adam, I saw you nodding. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I always imagine um, the room that these characters are in. And if they have a, if they, if, and there's usually a door, and there's usually a window. And I, I like to work with weather, and I like to work with why people leave. <laughs> and if they leave, they have to have a really good reason. So my, my first act might be an entire scene in this one room, and that's happened a lot in a lot of my plays. And what I found um, that's so different in writing for film is that you want to get in the room, and you want to get out as soon as possible. And you're writing two to three page scenes. So the craft of writing drama is, is it's this compression. And it's this sort that's of right. quick fix thing, whereas um, when I'm writing for theater, I can take my time and you can use sort of real time and real space and characters can breathe and they can really want what's in the other character's pocket and they can really take their time getting there and you can really drop like story plot points in a way that's mm -hmm. much more framed and theatrical and takes its time. And I, that's, that's what I love about it. I was watching uh, Clute the other night, and uh, and I was that's the one thing I was struck by in that movie was how short the scenes are. I mean, I've seen it before, but I think it's hard because uh, this movie I'm working on write, writing right now, and I'm I'm trying to kind of make it a little more cinematic and less <laughs> less like a play. And um, and I and I and I was struck by that, you know, that that um, and and the thing about the play that's so great is that you you have this, you know, you can really explore these characters and their language and. And the time that they're in in this room, and and out of that, the naturalness of that, these things can be revealed that that are so kind of you know shocking or surprising, and and so it um, I just love that aspect of it. You said you were trying to write a little less like a play and more like a movie. <laughs> has cinematic language, has television language affected I you? I think everything. I mean, the thing I found now is I went back a play I wrote as Bees and Honey Drown. <clears throat> They're getting ready for a West End production. And I looked at it, and a huge plot point happens with a uh, tape machine. Someone goes home and listens to their answering machine. And I'm going, oh my God, an answering machine? Who has those? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> things like cell phones, the way people talk on cell phones now is fantastic because they're soliloquies. People are now used to people standing and just talking like this. People are used to hearing things fractured. Uh, MTV was a huge influence when it came out just in terms of storytelling. You could just show a line here, a line there, and you could shatter things up. So film, television, videos, uh, all kinds of stuff are, are influencing and I, I find it exciting and, and, and it, en it enriches the work. Well, what about people who say that all of this technology is, is reducing playwriting, that it's making it more yeah. like television or film? Well, I heard that there was a, I know uh, there was an article written by a major American critic, who I won't name, um, <laughs> that said that the 90-minute play is the new thing. Because 
uh, he, he said... Advocating for it? Yeah, advocating for it. That there's no intermission, so he can get home sooner to watch television. And I <laughs> thought that was really, really telling. Um, uh, re you know, and all of a sudden there was this sort of um, virus of 90-minute plays that were being put out there. And if you think back to like when O'Neill was writing his three-and-a-half-hour plays mm -hmm. and Shakespeare's plays are so long and... You know, maybe our narrative minds are being, you know, um, quickened by MTV and iPods and just our, a quick fix, you know, click and drag culture that we are. Maybe, maybe kids these days process information so much faster, but I like to think of myself as sort of a preservationist, and I like to think that, you know, the two-hour play, the two-and-a-half-hour play is just as valid as it was ten, ten years ago. If you're telling a good story, anybody will listen for four hours, I think. Mm -hmm. But uh, now, now there's pressures to get on a certain train line to get uh, back to White Plains uh, because there's like a 10 o'clock or a 10.30 train that 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 uh, group of ticket buyers won't come to see <laughs> the play if, the, if they're getting home. If the, <laughs> if the theater is getting out late, they won't come and see the play in New York. So there's all these new kind of elements that are like challenging, like actually writing a longer play. I think what's scary about it though, it's this idea of also what, what is required now as a playwright. I mean, that, that language used to be exclusively in terms of you know writing when you wrote a movie or television this is what is expected if you want it to sell or whatever and you never felt that quite from it, it, writing a play you never felt that language getting into the conversation and it's becoming more and more like that because I think it's unfortunately because people are getting more worried about selling tickets or like thinking well maybe if we made them more like movies or more like this it would work you know and it's it's just a really dangerous slippery slope to, to get on but then so. every once in a while there'll be some astonishing O'Neill revival with oh, a movie star in it who returning the stage. That, what I think is so hilarious. I'm not yeah. saying it's Everyone will go on and make these no. speeches about, oh, the theater must be the show. Yeah, and absolutely. And then yet, they, uh, Iceman Cometh comes to Broadway, everybody's standing in line for a ticket to sit in yeah. a theater uncomfortably for five hours. Yeah, but they also put a, they'll also put somebody very I'm saying, famous yeah. in there. I'm saying, someone, know, so I'm saying it becomes, a, but that event. It right. a movie star. An yeah. event, a, a movie, or an actor returning to the stage yeah. after. Or a rat star. Or a rat star from Lorraine Transport. <laughs> so it is, I mean, it is, a, it is you know, yeah. but that is an interesting thing that, that when I, all I hear is shorter, faster, funnier, and yet some O'Neill will come out and there was no, like, you know, I've got to see it. And they'll say with delight in their eyes, it's five hours long. <laughs> like, look how good I am. It's climbing Everest. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Since everyone here is, is under 50, do you ever, are you conscious in your writing of trying to write work that will appeal not to the people who are going to be jumping on the train to White Plains, but for a younger audience? I, my, my, my like dream would be to have everyone who's going to like Mercury Lounge and the Knitting Factory coming to the theater. And that's, <laughs> you know, 18-year-olds to 40-year-olds who are kind of alternative, you know, intelligent art alternative people. Um, they don't, those people, I'm in a band, so I know a lot of those people, and they don't even think about the theater. And that's, my goal is to get people who don't think about the theater to come to the theater. So I'm trying to write about people, the people I'm drawn to writing about are people who aren't really involved in theater. You know, and um, so I'm trying to, I'm doing my best to kind of, uh, I'm drawn to writing younger characters. I like writing older characters too, but I, I'd like to think that there is a new audience that wants to come. Yeah. I think all what I know of, of the people at this table's work is that there is a sense of the history of theater. Like we, we know the guys and the gals from the past, 
but there is we are reaching out to a young I feel like we're reaching out to younger people and, and people of our generation and younger and saying like here are the stories with what we've what were the tools we've learned from the old guys these are the stories this is what's going on now and this is how we're distilling it do you all look for kind of something dangerous something new in in when your work is done or are you trying to stay within the traditions Kia is that something how do you how do you keep the excitement both for yourself and for the audience well, a few years, actually, it, it was right after 9-11, it, it happened. Um, I happened to be doing this production. It was an older play of mine that had, that had never had a full production about women in prison. And um, this small theater picked it up and wanted to do it um, at this place, The Point, in the Bronx, which is a, mm -hmm. it's the community center in the Bronx, which is a really cool space. They do dance and things like that. So for, uh, it was like three performances in the South Bronx, and it was completely... Um, 100, 150 seats or something. It was free to the community. It was packed every night with people, you know, from the community and a lot of young people. And actually, my favorite thing was uh, there's a part, it was, it's about women in prison. There's a part where the women kiss, and uh, there were these teenage boys who sort of came in the back because they'd seen it like the night before, <laughs> and then after the women kissed, then they left. They just came for that part. But, you know, yeah, I mean, of course. It was practically volunteer. I, you couldn't make a living, but yeah. but it was great to do it for that for that moment. Was um, it's, was I really mean, New York is a real estate town too. It's tough to find. We, we were putting this idea of Xander together. We wanted to do it in a in a roller skating rink in a dance hall, which is what the movie is about. And what I wanted the play to be about was the muses of classical Greek mythology coming down to earth in 1980 before AIDS and bad art happened, but there was it come down, and they would be in this roller rink, and we went to all the roller rink spaces, and they're just, it's just, it's about real estate. I said, I want to be in a bank. I want to be in an old theater. I want to be in an old deserted movie theater. There's no such thing as an old deserted theater in Manhattan. I mean, they don't exist. It's tough to find an alternative space that way, so it is, it's a challenge. I think it's a little less so doing, uh, doing stuff out of town. Like you said, in, in Manhattan, it's so much about the real estate, but, but it's such a joy to me to go see plays that are done outside, outside of New York. One of my first plays was done in Atlanta at a theater that kind of catered only to 20- and 30-year-olds. And you could go in literally with a bucket of beer bottles. into the, And it was, it, the energy of that is completely, completely different. And how they respond to the play, it's all, not quite audience participation, but it's, it's sort of, it kind of is. And, and I think that that happens when you leave the traditional kind of midtown theater spaces or, or uptown theater spaces. You, you get uh, the, the sort of the, the, the ideas of the, the proper etiquette of going to theater sort of break down a little bit. You know, and, and I think plays are meant to be produced where, wherever they're produced, you know, uh, churches, uh, basements, wherever. I think it's, it's real, you know, and I, and I always get really excited when I go to, like, a back room of a bar that's putting on, you know, like the tradition of pub theater is such a, such a great tradition. Uh, so I get really, really excited about that. Um, and, it's, and, I, and I also feel like that kind of brings something out in the work that maybe a traditional theater space wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? With, with a kind of more traditional set design and more traditional uh, subscription base, all that stuff, it, it just gets a little more exciting, um, which is always terrific, I think. 
I'm curious about who are your influences? Who are the people that you think most influenced the kind of work that you do, whether they are other playwrights or just other writers or It's almost like you should shout out the ones and we should say if we're not influenced. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 not influenced by Chekhov. I'm sorry. I mean, it's like there are... But, but are there particular people that you, you feel very passionate about the work of, work that, that meant a lot to you? I'll say, when I actually realized this playwright had this great influence on me, but I didn't realize at the time. Um, I knew when I was in college, I read his plays, I loved them, but it wasn't until later I realized how much he had an influence. He was David Rape. And mm -hmm. actually, so the basic good. training of Pavel Helmuth is the most incredible yeah. plays ever written. Sticks and, and yeah. yeah, and then actually, it's interesting because then, because so, that was one of the early plays that I read and just loved it, co contemporary plays. And then, uh, then New York Theatre Workshop did uh, A Question of Mercy by Dave Rachel's this AIDS play. And I was sobbing, and that has never happened to me. And then uh, that, I, that I remember in that way in the theater. And then I went to uh, I, um, the new group did um, Curly Burly, and I laughed like I never laughed. And so I thought, I think this playwright really affects me. I think he's, yeah, amazing. Well, I think more than anybody, like when I think back on the playwrights that have affected me, I think this is such a cliche, but Pinter, he does so much with tension and so much with the mystery of what's between people. And he keeps people in rooms for a long time. And I just think that's, like, that's such an enormous challenge that he pulls off so effortlessly. Um, so I learned a lot reading his plays. I, I learned a lot reading Carol Churchill's plays. I think when I read uh, Mud by Irene Fornes, I, like, my head was spun around. You know, um, Sarah Kane's Blasted like, taught me that you can do anything in the theater um, if you're brave enough. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, I, I read a lot of early Shepard and uh, John Guare's work. His sort of, um, he has such a whimsy with language and yet he, he's able to ride this tension between um, like high, high stakes and, 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 and silliness, you know, like nobody else. And so, I've, I, I, you know, I, I, I've taken from a lot of people and I've, I've learned from a lot of novelists too, a lot of contemporary novelists. And I think John Updike and you know, uh, I think uh, Cormac McCarthy's work, just in terms of character and voice, and uh, I think I think a lot of uh, Edith Wharton's work, uh, like The House of Mirth, was like one of the greatest novels I've ever read. So it's kind of been a, a pu pulling a lot of a lot of voices. Um. And Doug, you mentioned Chekhov, but certainly. Your more recent plays, I think people wouldn't look at and immediately say, "Oh, these are <laughs> Chekhovian." Well, so I think they're Chekhovian because they're about sad people trying to joke their way out of situations. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, I love Chekhov because there's just this undercurrent of despair and people are just sort of glib about it and sort of mm -hmm. making jokes about it and sort of, ha here we are, what can we do? I mean, I love it. Uh, Chekhov, Tennessee Williams, I love. Huge influence on Mike. Just the absolute sloppiness of his writing is a delight. What do you mean by sloppiness? Because, well, if you read people like, if you do, I mean, the usual people I'm compared to are like, the Noel Coward and the Kaufman and the Philip Berry, and there's a concise sort of machine at work, and there's a structure underneath it that's very solid, which I love doing and I enjoy doing, but there's sort of this vomit of poetry coming at you in yeah. Tennessee Williams. You're like, what? Stop talking this <laughs> stuff at me. It's just... So, so, uh, so an overripeness to the <laughs> yes, language. And I love it. Yeah. I just absolutely... I love... If, if there's a, you know, a Tennessee Williams is like, for most people it's O'Neill, for me it's Tennessee Williams. It's the big, 
bright purple adventure of it. I just <laughs> love him. I just love him. I love Tennessee Williams as well. Although I remember the first time I, I saw or read some of his plays. I, I, there re- recently they just revived something last summer here mm-hmm. in New York, and I remember the first time I read it or, or saw the movie or I think saw a televised version of the play yeah. or something. I had no idea what any of the characters were talking about <laughs> because the language was so you know overripe <coughs> and, and 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 juicy and and the characters seemed so over the top to me. I knew I loved it, yeah. but I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. But um, I think all the the players you guys have mentioned are. But how does that get us to monsters and aliens? Well, well, I mean, I think there, there's. I mean, I, I when I went to see something last summer, I definitely almost think of that as a as a kind of horror play. It's sort of set They're in this gothic. garden of, of man eating plants and Lobotomies and, and, and and cannibalism. I mean, it's 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 in the it's in the world. Hmm. But I think another player that has been, was a huge influence for me because uh, I grew up in. Washington, D.C., which has a terrific classical theater, the Shakespeare Theater. In fact, where I worked before and while I was becoming a playwright, so I, every year I would see six or seven plays by Shakespeare in really beautiful productions. And I think I learned more about kind of contemporary storytelling watching those plays uh, and watching those productions than I did from any other, any other playwright. Um, and you know, Shakespeare had ghosts. Shakespeare's had Shakespeare had monsters. You know, his epic form, I think, uh, and his, his ability to bring in, you know, kind of low and high uh, culture elements, which is something that I, that I, I do. I, I draw on novelists. I draw on comic books. I draw on movies, um, soap operas. All that stuff is sort of kind of gets filtered into my work somehow. You know, un- I think unconsciously, I, d- I don't set out to put in all those elements, and frequently, in fact, say, "Okay, I'm going to write a play. No monsters, no, you know, <laughs> gay characters." And pretty soon, there's like a <laughs> kid who's creating a Frankenstein monster, and the Frankenstein monster's gay in his bedroom. <laughs> but um, it's funny when my parents go see my plays because they can see every movie that I saw growing up. They're like, oh, "That's just like in Clash of the Titans." <laughs> oh, that's just, yeah, it's, so it's 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 a uh, it, it's so I like draw from from. Are sort of our, our, our the playwrights that came before and then other different, different yeah, there's, genres. There's, the thing about Tennessee also is, is an influence for me is that there's, there is the, that word that is sort of whispered among in, in American theater, which is camp. I mean, there's a camp to yeah. Tennessee. His characters' names, are we supposed to take them seriously? <laughs> these names of these characters, you're like, stop it! That's like that. And there's that level, and it's an influence that, that I see in my work, and I'm interested with it, and I love playing with it, because it... It is upsetting to some people in the audience to see something that is felt to be campy coming at them because it is politically and interesting and sexually kind of naughty and wrong. I love that. I, I think I love playwrights that can tell a good yarn. Uh, so I tend to, you know, Alan Akeborn, we spoke about that earlier, is, is probably is, you know, like a hero to me. I mean, I read his plays over and over and over again. I think, um, I think he's vastly underrated because he's so prolific. Um, <laughs> and um, he just wrote a play just yeah, now. No. Yeah. <laughs> but it's incredible. And he also is a lo- does a lot of what we were talking about earlier. I mean, he has this theater in Scarborough, and he, and he directs these plays. And it, he just has this, when you read his plays, you, you, you feel his love of the theater. You know, you can't miss it. And um, so and small family business, I think, is, you know, uh, it, it's just an extraordinary play. And, I mean, the end of that play is so shocking. But within this sort of, sort of, Somewhat ordinary circumstances, although they all go a little crazy at the end. But um, and Brian Friel is probably my other favorite, and uh, Faith Healer. 
um, I saw a production of that with Donald McCann, and I've never gotten over it. And um, and uh, up up at uh, Long Wharf, and mm. it was just, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things you dream about. Well, with that, we're going to take a very short break and hear a few words about the other work of the American Theatre Wing. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence and we support education in the theatre. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequaled forum for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Now, let's return to the seminar. We were talking before the break about influences, and now I want to ask you about how you really began to develop as playwrights. And specifically, were you taught to be playwrights? Or did you simply learn to be playwrights? I picked it up off the streets. <laughs> I did. I did. I mean, I, I got a job when I came to New York. I worked at the drama bookshop. Yeah. And they had a fabulous policy there, a fantastic policy, which was because they wanted their staff to be knowledgeable. You could take a play home, any play off the shelf, and take it home at night and read it. So I had the most amazing world theater library. And I just read plays. And I had no idea of which was the good O'Neill and the bad O'Neill, which, so I just read them all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I just reading plays just, it, it excited me. Because originally I was going, trying to be an actor, and I was saying, oh, I'll be an actor. And the more I would read these plays, I would go, this is really an interesting form. The spoken voice is fascinating. It's really great. But you're self-taught. You I am, I'm, I, Perhaps I should have taken a correspondence course in second <laughs> acts or something. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I'm fascinated by structure. That interests me. And I also started reading books on structure, but really old ones. And hilariously, like, you know, Van Druten. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, there's actually a joke in, in uh, Little Dog Laugh where the woman talks about, talk, uh, Thornton Wilder is a big influence on this character of Diane and the fact that she openly addresses what's going on in the play. And she says, the structure of a three-act play is this. And I just got that from a Van Druten book, which I thought was just so funny. Like, here's, here's how you do it. Oh, good, I'm relieved. <laughs> so on the flip side, Roberto, Yale School of Drama, and in fact, uh, you had some seminars with Kia? That's right, Kia was, <laughs> came in. So let's put you on the spot. Um, I, well, I, I eventually ended up going to Yale, but I started running plays much, you know, much earlier than that. Um, and one of the, when I was thinking about applying to grad school, um, Paul Vogel, I was in D.C. working as a publicist at the Shakespeare Theater, and, and uh, I was a reporter as well, but I was writing plays on the side and, and kind of throwing them up in black boxes around town and, and on off nights at, at, in uh, D.C., various D.C. theaters, many of which are, are, are now sadly closed. Uh, but Paul Vogel came to Arena Stage. She was the playwright in residence, and she did a workshop 
with every every theater in DC could send their resident their play playwright in residence. So they had contacted the Shakespeare Theater and said, uh, "Please send your playwright in residence." And the artistic director got that and said, "Well, you know, our playwright in residence <laughs> is dead, but you can go." So I went and spent two weeks with Paul Vogel, and at the end of it, she said, "You know." If you're thinking about getting serious about this, you might want to think about going to graduate school, uh, and you should come to Brown. I said, "Great, I'm going to go to Brown. I'm going to study with, Kia, uh, with with Paul Vogel. Uh, applied to Brown, didn't get in. Uh, Michael Kahn, who was the artistic director of the Shakespeare Theater, said, so you'll, you'll go to Juilliard. You'll study at Juilliard. Uh, I'm looking at to Adam because he went to Juilliard, <laughs> and I said, "Great, I'll go to Juilliard and I'll and I'll study playwriting." I applied to Juilliard, didn't get in. <laughs> then I applied to Yale and got in. Um, and, and it was a stepping stone to get out of doing plays extracurricularly or as a hobby to kind of focus on it and, and, and give it the importance in my life that I wanted it to be. Um, and it was, it was great, not that so much that I learned playwriting as I had a chance to really do it in a concentrated, uh, for, for a concentrated three years with a really talented group of classmates, actors, directors, uh, and you also had productions at Yale, which I thought was a really terrific thing. You, every year you had a play in production, and that taught me as much about playwriting as sitting in a room, which I love as well, just with me and, and the play. So I came to it a little bit later in life, but it was, it was exactly what I needed to kind of also transition to New York, and you had to get to New York somehow, and, and, and moving to New Haven somehow seemed less, less, both less and more traumatizing. So that's how I ended up there. Adam, how was, what was Juilliard for you? Well, Juilliard was a strange thing because when I was, uh, I didn't apply. Um, I'm probably getting somebody in trouble right now. Um, I was at the O'Neill in 96 and 97 and I had these two amazing summers there and I kept trying to write plays and I, at this point I'd written f five plays and nothing was happening. And so I was very angry and I was like, well, I'll just go back to fiction. I'm getting my books published and I'll just do that. And I have an audience <coughs> there and I was very, you know, had a big chip on my shoulder. And I got a call from Juilliard and they, they asked, uh, Joe Kramer um, said, uh, Marsha Norman would love to meet with you. Uh, are you interested in the program? And I said, no, because I was like, I'm not gonna write plays anymore. And, um, and then I, he called again and he's like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I really don't wanna to do this. And then he called again and said, Marsha would really love you to come up and talk to her. So I came up to Juilliard to meet with her and she didn't show up. <laughs> um, she had some emergency and then I was really frustrated and then they then they called and said would you like to come and I said yes because they said they had health insurance and I had a back mm -hmm. uh, v very bad back problem from playing basketball my whole life and and it was the only it was like my salvation to healing my back at first but I went in and I fell in love with it again because uh, Marsha and Chris were amazing teachers but also you had a company of actors mm -hmm that started to come into class and inhabit your plays. And it wasn't just actors sitting in a chair at a reading, it was workshop environments, it was like having lunch with them, it was establishing real connections with other artists who eventually were really, really dedicated to your work. And I think that was the most valuable thing that I took from Juilliard was like the idea of trying to form a company. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I, I didn't have any training before that, so I, it was similarly, I read a lot of plays and I, 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 I was lucky enough that I read all the plays that won prizes because I would go to the bookstore and I would buy <laughs> the ones with the stickers on it. And, <laughs> and I would, you know, that, so I read a lot of very good plays and that was a great lesson for me in structure and lesson in like what makes a great play and I got a sense of what made a play feel inevitable. Um, 
And then I just tried to do it, and then I applied to the, to the O'Neill. The O'Neill for me was a, as important um, a, a stamp f uh, just for my self-esteem uh, as anything I've ever done. And Lloyd Richards was there when I was there the, the, the first two years, and um, he, that man had an effect on me like no other basketball coach I've ever had, you know, like n no one in my family. I mean, he just, the things that every time he opened his mouth, something incredibly wise would come out of it. And so I just tried to hover around him and just soak up his wisdom and... Um, I just think, you know, there was something about that place that was sacred that, uh, that I, I, I'd love to return. And I would always apply and not get accepted again, and I'd be so mad at everybody. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, uh, it was a very special place, and I think I learned about what it means to be a playwright in the room at that place and, and, and how important you are in the room, um, whereas before I felt like playwrights were relegated to the corner mm -hmm. and they were not supposed to speak up. And I think Lloyd really, and then later Jim Houghton, um, really supported this idea that the player was the center of the experience for this development process, you know. Daisy? Um, well, you know, I, my father obviously was a great influence and, and he was, you know, he really was my, t my first teacher. And, um, and, but I would simply write plays and he would edit them, <laughs> you know, he would go over <laughs> them. I mean, that's what happened, you know, and then one day he stopped, you know, and mm -hmm. that's when I knew I sort of was ready to go out in the world. I mean, and, um, and I also studied with Herbert Burkhoff for summer, which was, in, it, like Lloyd Richards was the most incredible experience. I mean, um, Herbert taught me, um, I remember this to this day, and I, I teach every once in a while. I've, I had a fellowship and taught at the Sewanee Writers Conference, and it's the one thing, and I'm a terrible teacher because I don't really know what to teach. I, I can't, I don't like it when, you know, people I teach with will, because I, I team teach sometimes, and they'll be like, well, if you do, you have to do this by first act and this by the second yeah, act, and just, that. it makes me crazy. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little... You know, when, when undergraduate students will say to me, because where I've done my fellowship, should I go into graduate school? And, and f half the time I'm thinking, you can't write. And, and, <laughs> and, and I would never say that to them. But I think that's, it, you know, I, one of the things I always say to anyone that I teach writing, you know, it's like being a doctor or, or an electrician. You have to have a skill for it, you know. And, it, and just because you go to school for it doesn't mean you can do it. So, um, so but Herbert... Um, I, you know, had a whole a summer with him, and we basically brought our plays in, and, and he, um, and we would all read them around the table and everything, but the one thing he always said to me, to all of us, would, I remember once this playwright had an argument with him, she said, but it actually happened this way, because he kept saying, I don't believe it. And he said, and he had this incredible Austrian accent, he said, it doesn't matter if it's happened, if the audience does not believe it, it's not truthful. And it always, you know, that's the one thing that I, you know, I, it, when I do teach, I, you know, the one little thing I put out there, everything else, I just sit and read their plays and help them make, say, well, this isn't clear, that's not clear, so. I because mean, I think that's all it really, it's just a matter of, and I say this to people I teach, you have to just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And so many yeah. of them today, too, it's like, how do I get an agent? That's always like their, their yeah. big question when I do these. Mm. Um, yeah. I've done, you know, the Swanee Writers Conference now, um, uh, three times, and that's like all within like ten minutes. They've got me in a corner saying, "Okay, <laughs> I really want to get an agent. Do you think it'll be helpful if I do this?" Ex I'm just like, "Just keep writing," you know. Mm -hmm. And I know that's really frustrating because you want to, but really, I mean, that's 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 it's really it's a what chronicle it is. of failure, you know. Yeah, and you know, you may not be, and that's the thing. If you want to guarantee success, don't be in this business. Yeah. And also, as a do writer, I, else, I find that know? I'm. I have my bag of tricks, which now I'm at a place where I'm trying to avoid mm -hmm. <laughs> as right. I write. But also there are, there's the rush of you are always painting yourself in a corner. You're all, oh, how do you get there? How do you, ch it's the, how do you fix it? 
you're always dealing with something broken. <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant puzzle. It's a delight. It's like, we haven't heard from this. There's an actress in a dressing room right now very angry. Get her on that stage. How do you bring her back? Mm-hmm. You know, or, mm-hmm. or with what for, for, for the Little Dog Laugh, which was fun for me, was dealing with the fact that I had realized when I was well into the first act that I had created four characters who were pathological liars. Mm-hmm. And they're like, <laughs> well, how do we know what's really going on with them? And then I kind of said, oh, well, it's, we could do what, you know, Eugene O'Neill does and have them speak their thoughts. So that would well, be kind of interesting. Let's do that in the middle of scenes. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm frustrated, I'm getting angry with them because mm-hmm. they're all liars, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, I love the challenge of that, that, that. That's the delight for me. And I don't know how you would, you would teach that joy. How do you teach that hunger? How do you teach that, that interest in, in, in com- complicating your life more? <laughs> Clearly, a vital relationship for any playwright is the relationship with a director. And I'm wondering if you all can talk a bit about either how you seek directors or how directors find you and to what degree you, you have control over who directs your work. Kia, I'll ask you that first. I do have control. Um, uh, in, uh, as a matter of fact, I remember years ago, um, I, it was kind of my first major production was at the Goodman, and, uh, and they had sort of were thinking of um, a particular director, and I was unsure about the director, and I met with him, and while I, there were many aspects that I liked, it just didn't feel like we quite clicked on the play. So I went with another director, and um, but I remember people were quite surprised, especially because it was so early in my career. Because apparently, I had no idea that the Goodman <laughs> was considered this sort of director's theater, and yeah. that that was the right. reason that I would be. I mean, it was they commissioned me to do this play, but that was a director who'd worked with them many times. But uh, but I felt that he wasn't going to get it, and so and so I have been it. Now that's not to say I haven't made mistakes many times picking the wrong person because. You never know. You could have a great conversation, then you get in there, and it's, it doesn't quite work out. Um, more recently, I've had much uh, better collaborations with directors. I've met people that I work with well. And the interesting thing is, I mean, everybody has different ways of working with, uh, with their directors. The directors that I have the best collaborations with, this is actually their idea, not mine more so. They want me there every day in rehearsal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. And auditions too, yeah. and I mean sometimes midway I get a little bored myself. <laughs> but it's interesting because there are some directors that can be very threatened by that. But mm-hmm. I've actually found the ones that I uh, that we have the best relationship, and they have the best relationship with everybody in the room, with the director, with the I'm sorry, with the actors, with the designers, are ones that really welcome that um, collaboration. Hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I, I've been very lucky. I've I've only worked with one director. I didn't I didn't feel that we connected with, and that was a particular type of director who just sort of went into the middle of the stage and sighed and said, "What do we do now?" To the cast, and I was just like, "Oh, he's like a sheep herd. He's not like a director." I've, I had fantastic experiences with, with Mark Brokaw. I've had a fantastic experience with with uh, Chris Ashley. I did Scott Ellis is doing this, doing my next play. I do. I like you know they become really close friends mm-hmm. because you're talking so mm-hmm. if you're writing you're talking about well this is what this is about in my life and suddenly you share incredible things with them 
that you don't normally share, or this is what I'm, this is the feeling I'm going for, and you're talking about that. So I, I think it's a very I've been I'm blessed. I know it, and I know it because I some. What irritates me also is when you become a good writer and you get to know writing is that you get to know writing is when you go see a play that has just been trashed and you know the play is good. Yeah. It was a lazy director. It was a bad director. Yeah. And that is an anger, which is, which is a deep-seated anger. You just go, oh, yeah. tell her to put the damn cup down and let's hear the lines. Yeah. These are beautiful words. Yeah. You know, th that's a frustration. I, I was just thinking when, when, you're, when you were talking about your first production, I think it's so hard for young playwrights who are so hungry to get that first production that, you know, and I've certainly fall, fallen, 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 fallen prey to, I'm so desperate for this theater to do my play, I will absolutely let you direct it, you know, let whomever direct it with whatever cast. And I, and I think that, you know, someone said earlier, ultimately kind of your, the playwright's role, once you've written it, once you're in there, it is to kind of sh make sure your child is being taken care of or do whatever you can to make sure that, that, that the story you want to tell is being told yeah. uh, in as close a way as possible. Like a curator or something. Yeah, like I, this, this is what was meant, this is what the author meant here. So it's, it's, <laughs> for me it's a, a lot, uh, I just recently did a show at, at the Rousek Theater, Playwright Theater downtown with, uh, with, a with a classmate of mine at Yale. We hadn't worked together at school and we wanted to work together for a long time, a, a really terrific young director named Trip Coleman. And w the, we, the show kept getting scheduled and we kept postponing it because he got a, something and I got something, but we really wanted to do it together. And when it came down to, um, at one point there were some, um, some commercial people who were in really interested in possibly doing the show commercially with an another d director. I kind of thought, you know, I've been working on this with, with this director I think he's perfect for it and we're going to kind of keep it going and he did a terrific job with it and got a great group of actors we were talking earlier um, it, it was, it's only four actors but they're various levels of experience uh, one actor who's been acting in New York for 30 years and one is a kid who has, this is sort of his first play he mostly does, does movies and they all required very di a very different kind of, of they had different needs that the d and Trip was able to fill them all so I, I think now I'm starting to think you know I'd actually rather not s see my play the way I want to see it done rather than it just be done for the sake of it being done. And, and you said something, to, which is one of the, another thing I love about theater is that everybody comes into the room with a different experience, yeah. a different set of credentials, a different, a different life study. Like you will have, you know, when you're working on a play, you'll have people who studied extensively, you'll have people who never studied and have only done theater, you have people who've studied amazingly and then went off and did movies and they're doing the theater for the first time in four years and they're all in the room together and we're all trying to make it work and I love that, that vibe. I love the, the feel of it. It's a, great, it's a great thing. It's a great community. And you kind of have community. to develop every time you do a show a new language with everyone. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. don't know what I mean when yeah. I say this yeah. and you say, what's my goal? Yeah. And I think, what goal? You know, so it's... it's, it's, it's I just had a thing with uh, Johnny... Uh, Johnny Galecki from the play was talking about a moment in his life. He said, and I wanted to cry, but then I thought, oh, I'll just make a bad joke up in my head and I won't cry like Doug does in his plays. <laughs> and I said, that is true. That's like, that's like the defense mechanism of all these characters and it's kind of great that now it's in your life. You're just going to look like, a bad joke. Okay, right. great. And I won't cry. <laughs> Adam, you've chosen to direct your own work. 
Yeah. And yeah. and so that's a, a different dynamic, obviously. Why why that choice? I got really frustrated, honestly. I was uh, uh, even with successes, I wasn't really happy with some of the things that um, results that I was seeing. I I always just had this instinct that I could do it better and I could communicate to actors better and I felt I also felt more involved when I was directing my own work because I find that when I'm the playwright in the room I'm just this like punk rock voice that doesn't care what the audience thinks and and I, I, I become kind of chip on my shoulder type guy in the corner when I'm directing I actually it's a continuation of the authoring for me and it and I f I'm more of an audience advocate I really want them to be involved in every moment of the story, and, and my play gets better. And I love working with actors, so for me, it, I was really afraid to do it at first, but I'd always had this, this instinct, and, um, and now I'm in love with it, and I think I forget that I'm the playwright, I just want to make the story work, and I, I, I'm not precious about my words, I'm not precious about uh, moments that aren't working, and I, I just become kind of more of a rigorous storyteller, ultimately. Um, and I really, really love it. And it's funny because there, there are a couple directors who I still work with and I love to work with, like Carolyn Cantor, who's the artistic director of Edge Theatre, Mike Bradwell, who, who used to run the Bush Theatre in London, he just stepped down. But, and, I've, you know, and I've taken and I've stolen from directors, um, great directors who I've worked with, but just didn't feel like we would have like, this relationship that would last beyond this one play. Or, but I had a lot of experiences where I just felt like they weren't serving my play. They weren't paying attention to it or they wanted some sort of concept to be put on top of the play. And when I was a, a younger director or a younger playwright and I wasn't I didn't have the stature yet to sort of stand up and I didn't feel I had the stature, I should say. Um, I was I, I would just sort of stay quiet and watch my play turn into something else, you know, and it's like watching your kid dr get dressed up funny for Halloween. And that's not a fun <laughs> experience. So I <laughs> vowed that I would never do that. So I just took full responsibility for it and started directing my own work and um, you know, I think Richard Nelson does it beautifully well, and mm -hmm. I think it is possible. I think it's not ex it's not uh, condoned very by very many theaters in America, but I um, I'm 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 loving it right now. So I get I'm too mean spirited. <laughs> I just say horrible things about I'm actors. It's great to be able to go into a hallway and go, "What is that moron doing?" <laughs> and I can I, if I if I go up to the woman, I say, "You're a moron. Look what you're doing." I can't. I don't have that edit button quite right when it comes to my plays. I'm a little too. Yeah, I, I definitely have an admiration for directors who can figure out how to talk to actors and designers in oh, a way yeah. that I I could I have to actually yeah. sometimes leave the room. And also the attention to detail. Yeah. Is it would make me nuts. Because you do have to work on exactly how that cup goes down and the lights hit and all that stuff. And I'd be like, oh, just get it and call me when it's done. Yeah. Uh, that's my mentality. That's mm -hmm. what I'm about. I want to As a corollary to the relationship with directors and some with ongoing relationships, Doug, you created your own theater company to, to right. develop your work. Adam, you mentioned Edge Theater Company, mm -hmm. where you're resident playwright. Do you all desire a particular artistic home? Do you want a place where you can do work on an ongoing basis? Is that something you look for, Kia? Is that...? Um, I don't... I mean, that'd be great if it were like a guarantee and you knew you were <laughs> going to get that production. But I also... I actually like that, you know, my one-night stands, because it's kind of interesting. Just every artistic director is so different, a different personality, and it's, and it's interesting working differently and seeing how this one works and it, at this theater and the good things about this one compared to the that one wasn't so good, but this was great in this respect. So I, I actually kind of like mixing it up like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's how I feel too. Although it, is, it would be nice to sort of be a resident playwright from somewhere for a while, you know, to to have that guarantee would be 
kind yeah, of I'm always. actually in a place where I'm kind of ending that <laughs> part of my life. Like, I, I, I don't need it anymore. I don't need... Also, when you do start, have, start having a catalog of plays, there's, like, a lot of stuff you have to deal with. You have to go be a playwright. You have to go be a writer. And the idea of, like, I loved what I will miss when I leave, you know, kind of leave that part of the theater company is I will miss the one weird thing I got to do that nobody else gets to do, which was be in a room with other writers and talk about their plays and try to make them better, which was a great situation. I mean, you know, how do you tell David Sedaris how to be funnier? You just don't. But just being in the room and seeing how their minds work and, and, and fabulous writers. Wendy Wasserstein I got to work with. You know, that's great. And, and, and to see how, how they, Neela Butte, and see how they deal with things. And like, oh, that's how you solve that problem. That was, that was a remarkable experience for me. And I loved having that. But there's something about being, a, being in your own, in the world, and going off, and having to deal with an artistic director with notes, and dealing with the director, and, and, just, being, and just being a writer. That's kind of nice, too. I'm at this point where I just want to work with a, a group of actors over and over again. Yeah, it's and I'm probably I will probably be away from that point at some point. But I, I desire to like I'm talking about possibly creating a company, and you know having seven or eight people that I work with over and over again, and 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 you know maybe that'll get really old really fast. But I, I but mean, I'm I looking forward. I to did it, it for like know. 12, 12, 13 years, and it was a, it was uh, it is a. There is writing that came out of there of, that I had a freedom that I kind of knew Cynthia Nixon can get this. J. Smith mm -hmm. Cameron will do this. She'll get it. She'll know how to do this. Like Mark Brokaw can make this work and mm -hmm. Chris Ashley will make that mm -hmm. work and I get it. They'll get it. They'll get it. They'll get it. That's great. The designers too. Like, oh, they'll know. Uh, they'll know. I'll just say, you know, I have a joke with uh, Alan Moyer, the set designer. I keep saying, I want a box. I just want a box. Just give me a box. <laughs> and it's a joke. All of his sets for mine are just big boxes that things come in and out of. Because I just like the squareness mm -hmm. of a box. And, and, and that, that was a wonderful thing. And, it's, <laughs> and I kind of... And I think it's an important thing to have. And I think, but I think relationships are, are the, mm -hmm. the theater company. And I think there's a weird thing that's happening in New York where there's so much bleeding of theater companies and everybody works everywhere that there is a sort of New York theater as this company, mm -hmm. that everyone mm -hmm. sort of knows everybody's work and is checking out with each other and checking each other's work. And it is this sort of big, huge theater company that we're all a part of. Mm -hmm. Roberta, do you find that in uh, terms of the bleeding and the, the, that everyone's talking to each other and it's one big group? I, I definitely uh, feel like there is kind of a community. Like, I, you know, I, I, one of the, the single kind of the, the one of the single best things that's ha that happened to me was right af right as I was leaving graduate school I um, applied for a grant through TCG and the NEA to be the playwright in residence at Second Stage actually mm -hmm. uh, and it was kind of a one year one year grant so I was going to be in residence and and Second Stage would give me kind of a desk a computer a place where I could kind of do the do some writing but also do the the business side of being a playwright have meetings do phone calls and you know, I sat right three paces from the artistic director, Carol Rothman, mm -hmm. and three paces from the associate artistic director, uh, Chris Burney. And after, and had a great time. They commissioned me to write a play. They produced my first play in New York. And at the end of the year, you know, the grant was up, and and I kind of said, well, what, you know, what happens now? And Carol and Chris were like, stay as long as you want, and as long as we have room. And I, I sort of been there for three years now. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's that kind of, I, I, you know, I can't kind of quantify or, or qualify except that it's, 
it's a huge support. Um, they just commissioned me to, to write, a, write a kind of new play. I kind of call myself the squatter in residence. <laughs> um, but I've gotten a just feeling that support and seeing all the work Second Stage does. And I do feel plugged into kind of a larger network of, of than I was before, certainly than I was before in D.C. And, and, and certainly than I was before at, at Yale, although we were just talking about how you know, one of my classmates was in was mm -hmm. in your play and, and things like that. So there, there is there does feel like there's a network. Oh, there is. Yeah. 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 I mean, everybody that I'm working with at the Cherry Lane are they're people I've known for 15 years. I mean, I knew Angelina when she was in L.A. and she said she always wanted to do a play with me, and she did. You know, so that that kind of thing that and and having those sort of trusting relationships with people, knowing that, that they're not going to do well. I suppose every once in a while it doesn't turn out well, but in my knowing that there are people that really are watching your back, you know, and understand your writing and been watching it for a long time, and 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 what what's best for you, you know. For me, for me, it's also like great. Like I, I would grow up reading that in theater magazine. Do you yeah. remember that or Theater Week? Uh, and and it was like, wow, I'm actually in a room with Elizabeth Marvel, and we're doing a play together. That's mm -hmm. incredible to me to think, or 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 you know, fill in the blank. And but it's it's. It's 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 I, I still have that giddy. Do you guys still have that giddiness when you're like, oh, I'm doing a play with? It's, it's like things things are moving. It's a, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a I guess because you try to get into the community, you never feel. But there you do earn a place at the table or get a place at the table, and it's a very, it's touching. Like the when after the reviews came out for Little Dog, I showed up at the theater to kind of get my flowers and little presents the next day, and. The stage and said, "Yeah, the reviews are good." And I said, "Yeah, they were really nice. Hopefully, we'll run." And he goes, "You keep writing them. We'll keep loading them in." Aww. And I was like, "That's really kind of like aside from like the fact that it's kind of great, like oh, the theater, the writer writes it, and that's what happens." But also the feeling like we're all just part of the business. Right. We're yeah. all part, part of it. Of we're all in it together. Yeah, you know, I love that aspect of it. And on that note, I have to draw the discussion to a close. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your words, your characters, and your stories. Thank you. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York with our partners, CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, thank you for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. <laughs>